October 4, 2011, it's the Watt from Pedro Show.
Watch from Pedro Show. I'm in Pedro, and I'm in my pad, in fact. Uh, started off with John Coltrane, uh, along with uh, Eric Dolphy joining the quartet there, with Impressions Live, and then Deep Under by Sawako. And with me here in my pad is special, special guest, Devin Hoff, incredible bass player. Uh, recently uh, has located here to... Uh, SoCal, welcome aboard. Um, thank you, thank you. South Pasadena. Thank you, Thanks for having me. Yeah, for now. Yeah. That's what Nels told me. I yeah. was talking with him, and he said, because uh, you were in that pad, mm-hmm. but now you're sub-leasing uh, one yeah. of his buddies? Yeah, or one of my buddies, actually. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Who is it? You know Chris uh, Chris Cohen? Uh, yeah, maybe five or six. Uh-huh. There's a few guitars. Yeah, yeah, he likes it real... Dance. Yeah, real dance and... And in that room at the smell, whoa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Even with those, we like playing in the, the front one because, man, it's kind of a din. They just yeah. hung some shit there. Oh, that yeah. That cat there is so nice. What's his name, Jim? Jim, yeah. Yeah, he's, he's the super best. nice. I haven't seen him in a while, but it's always been super sweet yeah, to me. Yeah, yeah. But the room is just all that brick. If They yeah. just hung some shit. To, not too much. Don't want to make it <laughs> dead, but yeah, just a little more to get up. Anyway, enough about that. Uh, when did you get your pop? You know, came to Pedro here with your yeah, mom. Yeah, and you you hung. And we had a rap. That was nice of you, man. Yeah, they wanted to meet me, and I know he was a player. In fact, he gave me a CD of him doing blues. Uh huh. So it, was that your earliest music? Is hearing him? Yeah, yeah. When I was a kid. Well, um, Carl, we should go back. It's Colorado. He's yeah, from here, people. Yeah, yeah. Fort Collins, Colorado. I was born and. Um, yeah, it was it was cool because they kind of my my folks for a while had this time sharing arrangement with me and my brother. So my my dad would stay home when he was gigging at night. My mom would do her job, you know. Um, she worked like you know in the in the college up there, um, doing like a at first secretarial work and you know admin I think stuff. That's an Aggie school. Yeah, exactly. I remember playing there once wow. on campus, and there was. Lots of cats with cowboy hats. Yeah, like, man, for it's, real. It's for real. It, you know, where I grew, when I grew up, it kind of started changing as I was growing up and getting less and less rural, and more like yeah. more of a college town. You know, with right, like, and also tracks. Their I twenty five between there and Denver started filling up. Exactly, L- yeah. Lovekin, Loveland, Loveland. Yeah, yeah. These towns like that started filling in in the. You can imagine what a, how much different it was in the older days. And it was when I was a, I mean, it's it's unrecognizable now. When I take people back there on tour or something to show it, yeah, to them. I, I have lives to explain. There from the St- uh, descendants, yeah, yeah. they all came out there actually. Uh, and he's got a studio there called Blasting Room. Mm-hmm. My good friend Chip Guthrie was uh, was a punk rock promoter in town, and he brought the Descendants to town, and they ended up. Oh wow! He brought, he, like, that's the maybe I played Paul, for him actually. in that. Uh, Theater. There was a theater downtown, small one. Was it the Aggie Theater? Yeah, that might have been. That might have been that guy Scoo. Might have been, too. but it might have been Chip too that put that on. <laughs> you know, it was like no, there was a small. That's a good little... thing about Alzheimer's. You always meet new people. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, your yeah, pops yeah. playing guitar. Pops... So this is the first music you hear. Yeah, yeah. And so he would stay home and practice all day, and I would hang. You know, because I was like before I went to school. But I remember real clearly him practicing certain things and uh, there was just 
local trumpet player named Hugh Reagan, who's a um, he still plays with like David Murray and Roscoe Mitchell and these these people. He was yeah. a devotee of like the AACM school, but because of his family and his work and stuff, he just hung out in Colorado. And so he would come over once or twice a week or something. It seems like and my dad and him would play records and they'd they'd sit around and practice some bebop. Wow! And so he would come over and he, you know, they'd listen to like you know, you know, Charlie Parker records and stuff. But they'd also put on. I remember very distinctly hearing this music that felt like I just had to get up and run around the room. You know what I mean? And oftentimes it would be. Uh, I realized later, like you know, Lester Bowie and and stuff like Art this. Ensemble. Yeah, and you know, and the Art Ensemble and that. And that that was music that. So I think from an early age, my ears were messed up because I didn't hear. Dissonance is dissonance. Because when I was four, I thought that you weren't hearing like the straight pop over the radio. Yeah, and my you know my dad would practice like bluegrass stuff or something just to keep his chops in it, and then he'd play this stuff. So my ears, it took me a while to sort out <laughs> what were the right notes and what were the wrong notes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe not a bad thing. The right notes, the wrong notes. <laughs> you know, in other people, eternal war. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'm know, still figuring that actually. Now that authority. I mention it, I still don't know. Well, I think for a long time, maybe Nels was telling me that Bach came up with, maybe we should put the third here. Hmm. For a lot of time with Europeans, they didn't really, right. I think Newton helped them with some physics or some uh, yeah. calculus or something to find out where maybe mathematically. Where it should work in like in Pythagoras. And you know, the Pythagoras thing is yeah. supposedly inaccurate, right? Which is why you have to like adjust as you go up the octaves because he, he thought it would work out and it doesn't work I mean no it, in fact there's this whole yeah Thurston told me about this hmm. Mick Jagger told me never to drop names okay but, <laughs> <laughs> but he told me about this guy Lamont Young and right he's sure. this well tempered yeah they've come up with another way no this is how yeah. nature actually works it out yeah and like you know Rod Poole you know, yeah guitar player, he was a big advocate like the just intonated guitar right right it's such a trail it's so beautiful sounding i went to that trail. house there's there's a dream house but i don't know what it's called new york he's got two minutes going for like years oh really oh nice yeah. that they're just cycling through and it's these chords based on these well-tempered things that's so cool, interesting man. but at that time you didn't know you're just kid running yeah, around and you're hearing yeah and i'm just hearing my dad and his friends do all this you know and so all those players my dad was like a he was one of these people who was like an acid rock musician, I guess is the only word for it, you know, like or blues rock or something, you know what I mean? He was of yeah. that generation. And then, and so his bandmates were all my uncles, like extended family and stuff, you know, they're all really cool guys. And then, um, and, you know, the people were all around like that. And uh, a bunch of long haired Colorado dudes. So they kind of had this like rocker, v- early rocker vibe, you know, but then they also, you know, we're all kind of rednecks from there too, yeah. in the you know not not in the not in the racist sense or anything, but just in the accidental sense. You know? Well, geography, look yeah, it is. you just kind of can't help it. So, uh, God, the nearest big town, really big town, would be Chicago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because Denver's was still kind of a cow town at that yeah, point, right. frankly. You know, um, although to me it was Chicago's the big, a big town for Midwest people mm-hmm. on the coast don't realize it. Yeah, they really don't realize it. That's what I kind of figured out hanging out there a bit. Yeah, they. And it's, and it's a big cool. shoulders. Yeah, yeah, totally. Big shoulders. Let's hear some music.
there. <laughs> okay. Watch for Pedro Silver back. Uh, we listened to Light. I'm going to get to see them next month nice. with Chameleon Eyes. And then Jackson Head from Boris after that. And then uh, the beginning, Joaquin A. That's volume three. Now we've heard all three volumes of that. I guess it's kind of instrumental story of that band. It's a trippy band, these guys. Maybe mm-hmm. they'd be in the tune to where your pop and his friends were. They'd, mm. they'd just, they're into jams. Yeah. They don't do any tunes. It's just jams. It's jams. <laughs> it's jams. They had me last year. They brought me to this studio, and there was like 14 or 15 of them. Wow. They just, you know, wanting to jam. Wow. It's their whole thing. It's yeah. like getting the spirit going. They're not so interested in uh, using music as like to build. Mm-hmm. Uh, compositions that the composition is in the moment while they're playing it very interesting yeah 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 so sure. uh, it's a lot of you are listening to your pop and his buddies do this stuff uh, when did you get the urge I got well you know early on I, I, you know there was some guitars lying around so my brother who's older my brother Brent is older he, um, he and I both got into it We're, and uh, we were the only kids. And so we would just pick up the guitars and learn a bar chord or something. You know? Yeah. Your pops. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Did he dig that? My dad. So he thought it was great, you know. The first. <laughs> oh, he didn't bum on it? Like, no, oh, he break. No, he had like, I'm, the first guitar that we played, he he did it on oh, purpose. Oh, he had some like, beaters? Yeah, he had like some $20 harmony sitting around, you know. And that Harmonies, was it. I remember that. Yeah, and that was it. That was like, but it, it plugged in and still worked. And, yeah. You know, so I learned a bar chord. My first band was a, I was in fifth grade and uh I remember my dad taught me like a Clash song on the guitar because it was on, you know what I mean? And then I think, I mean, I came, I might be getting my stuff backwards. And I heard X and I, I got all like excited. I was Billy a little kid. Yeah, and I was like, so I, uh, I got out the harmony and we plugged it into a, to a practice amp into some earphones and pointed the earphones out so it distorted real good. And my friend Mike came over, and we had a ripped-up snare drum with the head all taped up with masking tape. And my buddy Harley, at the time, came, and uh, and we had a band we called The Pigs. That was my first. It was a punk Fifth band. Fifth grade. Yeah, and we were, we were I don't know, man. There's no, a what tape were you doing? You were doing X songs? No, we were doing our own. We couldn't play your, anything. Your own yeah, tunes. We, were just, we were just doing our own tunes. And, okay. Uh, the, you know, my, Do you remember some of them first songs? Man, I don't, well... I remember one was called the Green Bay Pig, and I have no idea. The Green Bay of Pig. The Green Bay Pig, yeah. I my my uh, my friend at the time, Harley. What's who, fifth grade ten? Yeah, something like that. <laughs> he was an angry cat. He actually wanted going kind of off a little bit, and uh, uh, he was an angry dude. So uh, you it know, kind of yeah, turned up in the <laughs> <laughs> totally. It was whatever teacher himself. or other kid he was mad at at the time. You know? Uh, uh, did you guys do gigs or was it just jamming? No, nah, we just yeah. jammed in the basement, and then uh, then my brother anyway started a band and uh, needed a bass player, and so around that time, that's when you, that's when I that's okay. when I switched. Yeah. So what did, did you know about basses? I knew about you know I always liked basses. I remember uh, the bass player Mark um, Mark Haglin who's from a, your pop band. from band, pop band, my pop band. Yeah, he uh, Mark actually passed away this year, but he uh, I remember going and. And uh, tripping on his bases, you know what I mean? And like, oh, you bring him over to the pad? Yeah, yeah. Or I'd go to where they practiced, I guess. I yeah. can't remember. And just, I like the rumble of it when I'd sit on the floor. Yeah. And I remember, you know, like trying to, I'd, I would mess with them, you know, I'd always be like, 
pushing on the bases, but not touching the other stuff. So my dad remembered that, and he was like, I think you like that. And, you know, and I, I realized that that's what I would gravitate to. your brother to. needed it. My brother needed it. That's why. I, he was putting together a well, band. Well, totally, yeah. That's the thing. That's always the story, though, right? And you play bass. Yeah, that's what happened to me. <laughs> yeah, I thought you were with It was Dee Balloon's mother, yeah, yeah. but same idea. Oh, You're going to make idea. a band. Yeah. Yeah, she uh, wanted... She actually wanted us in the house after school so uh-huh. we wouldn't get into trouble as in the projects. Yeah. It was the early 70s. There was a lot of guns, but, uh, you know, you guys stay in the house and you guys play. I mean, yeah. this was arena rock. I had never been to a club. We had no idea you could do gigs. Right. You thought you could only do stadiums. Yeah. And, <laughs> and us, we weren't going to be doing any yeah, stadiums. Exactly. So we're just, this is how we hang out Yeah. after school. And she was a guitar player, so she had her oh. son play guitar. And, oh, you're going to hang out with them? Well, you're going to have a band, and you're going to be the bass player. Wow. And I didn't Because really... Boone was already playing at that point. He because like... she was a guitarist, so yeah. she had him play. Actually, he kind of wanted to be the bass player. Don't, we, we didn't know what it was. Arena Rock, you were so far away. <laughs> we didn't know how to hear it on records yet. Yeah. I remember playing the Credence records and fucking could not hear what the bass player was doing. I could hear it in the Motown. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ant Whistle mm-hmm. and uh, Bruce with the Cream, mm-hmm. Larry Graham on the Sly, mm-hmm. yeah, Mo- Jamerson of course, with the Motel. But I could not hear it on a lot of like the T Rex records, the Creedence records. Right. With the Sabbath, I'd get it mixed up with the guitar. Mm-hmm. You know, I could kind of hear him. But man, it was mysterious to us. We didn't know because we had never been to a little gig. We've never. Yeah. And when I started on it, I never even really saw a real bass up close. I didn't know they even had bigger strings. We thought they were four-string guitar. <laughs> but <laughs> that's it great, man. Embarrassing. So the first time you heard somebody live, in like in right in front of you was, well, the first gig was T Rex, and it was you wow. know thirty-five hundred other yeah, people, yeah. and so it was you were far away. Right. One of them up there was the bass player. We knew in the pictures, yeah, it looked like a guitar, but it only had four of the tuners. But you guys were studying yeah, I didn't it. know it was bigger string. No, yeah. I just played a guitar with four strings. Oh, really? We just thought they had thinner necks. We didn't realize. And I, I was 16 when yeah. I saw first bass up close. There was one at Chuck's Sound of Music. They used to sell instruments with records. Uh-huh, uh-huh. There wasn't really music stores that much. There was a couple in Hollywood, I think, Wolitzer, Oregon or something. But, and there'd be school band things. And yeah. that, there was some of that stuff here, too. But the, also records. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was way different. Wow, you man. Know, uh, later in the 70s, they got into like record stores and uh-huh. music uh, instruments and this. And then rock and roll, shit hard center and this. But right, that wasn't right. there in the... Yeah, so anyway, there's a bass there and I remember tripping on this thing. I couldn't believe... <laughs> like, I didn't really know what it was. It was like these big fucking cables. Yeah. And uh, it was right when I started high school. First week of 10th grade and, Yeah, and somebody said, you know, I, I told somebody in a homeroom that I was, yeah, badge buffing. And, you know, and I play bass and shit, and they, 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 this cat's there, and he goes, what are you tripping? And I said, look at this. Can you believe this thing? He said, I thought you were a bass player. And I said, I am. He goes, well, that's a bass. And I said, I know that. <laughs> but I fucking didn't know didn't that. Know. I fucking couldn't believe it. I thought, first thing I thought was, no wonder there's only four of them. Yeah, don't live so <laughs> Because they're big. Yeah. You work this song. I worked real hard and got 100 bucks up for a K. Uh-huh. And this thing, man, it had 
Devin's got to stand up here, and I bet you its action is about ten thousand percent lower than this. Oh my this thing God. is like a King Arthur thing. <laughs> like shot or Robin Hood. You could have shot arrows with this <laughs> yeah, fucking yeah. thing. The action was so bad. You have to hold the strings on with your forearm. Yeah. <laughs> no it finger. Was, it was bad. Oh man. Anyway, <laughs> that's my story. So I but I didn't, you know, my pop was uh, he, he wasn't music. Mhm. You know, my ma sang for a band and stuff. But, oh yeah. Yeah, and her father played some guitar and vaudeville, she said for a little bit. He told me too some stories. Two dollars a gig. Whoa. Yeah. For a whole band. Wow. People well, throwing whole... shit and stuff. This is during depression. Oh, yeah, yeah. But uh I didn't really have a music connection like that. So Right. I stumbled through it. But uh here you're in the prac pad and you're fucking feeling it. So your bro's yeah. putting together the band, he needs you. He needs me and he's playing like like I don't know, like kind of you know, the stuff that people were playing at that time. So it's like... There's Tom a trio. Sawyer, you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's playing like Rush tunes and Ozzy tunes. Rush? You know? Yeah. So the first thing I <laughs> do is try to learn to that. always get asked about Rush because we had three guys. Oh, man. And where, where we came from, it was all, you know, three guys. Oh, Cream. Yeah. But like nobody knew about Cream anymore, hardly. They only knew about Rush. Rush. Oh. Was huge. Yeah. Yeah, I took Miss Peak to see them a couple uh, years ago. She told ago. me about that. I fell asleep again because I went in the 70s with my pool cleaner friend Tony and fell asleep with that one. And like 20, 25 years later, I fell asleep again. Maybe 30 years later, yeah. The soothing sounds, man. <laughs> I don't know. I didn't mean... I mean, I met one of them at a thing once and they're nice people and you can tell they're good musicians. Sure. So that's what you were doing. You were copying records. Yeah, that's yeah. kind of like us. That's what we did. We copied. Mm-hmm. So you went from writing your own tunes with uh, Green Pay a Pig. Yeah. No, The Pigs. The Pigs, yeah. yeah the song was Green Pay. To uh, <laughs> your brother's band and copying songs off records. Yeah, and that band's called Circus with a K. And our drummer, Jay, was a big prog rock guy, so he would write all these pert? lyrics and stuff. Yeah, he was in well, a pert know? Did he know, did he know and... that the... Rush Drummer wrote the words? Yeah, well, he did. So then he had to write some words. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Jay's a cool Ozzy, guy. Ozzy, you know, he didn't write his. That no, Geezer. Yeah. yeah, right? Was Geezer's the shit, man. I found out later. but See, that's the stuff that still... Like, see, all that stuff you listen to as a kid, like... Like, Sabbath still stays yeah. with me. So, uh, you know, yeah. X me still too. stays with me. And from the stuff from, that, from before I heard... Because it wasn't until years later, I, my buddy Chip I mentioned earlier, like, I met him, and he... He was the one who really turned me on to like real punk rock. You know what I mean? So yeah. he was the guy who I. Your brother missed it, even though he's older. Yeah, he he got he got into it. he kind of got it through me. You know what I mean? I think. I wow. Mean, he, he might he might he might dispute that. Well, there's but I think... some little brother stories, you know. That's the story of Creedence. Oh, really? Yeah, Tom's the older one. Oh, and John's John took the over the band. Yeah. I think it was like a prom band or something like a. They were the Gollywogs and, and the Blue Velvets or something, and then he turned. And into John's like, "No, let's these songs." I'm gonna write. We're gonna do our own songs. And, and yeah, I'm gonna do the songs. Yeah, and then back the other guys, and then they started complaining. And there's one wreck that my last one, Mardi Gras. You're gonna write your own. Well, Tom had left by that time. Oh, right. Terrible. I don't even have that one. Oh, I only really? played the six. I don't play the seven. <laughs> yeah, that's like that. Yeah, sometimes. it was weird. But there, sometimes the little brother comes and shows the big brother yeah. what's well, up. Well, I mean, I just, I fell into this stuff because who was around and, you know, uh, I, you know, like I got a lot of things from him, but I think that just because of the people that I knew, 
Yeah. My, my friends, and you know, and so I, so I learned, you know, it was all. Uh, were you guys the, doing gigs or was it just practice? We were doing gigs. Oh wow. Yeah, we were doing like like, we we kind of fell into like a metal scene that was in town at the time, and then. Uh, and this is your nice, high school. Yeah. Yeah. And Here, then, uh, let's play some. Yeah. I, I I mentioned this to you before uh, about this scene in Italy called Jazz Corps. Mm-hmm. We're gonna play a bunch of stuff here. Nice. And uh, we'll get back to your story.
Watch for Pedro show. Uh, folks, you didn't hear anything from Italy there. We're going to have to wait a little later in the show because, uh, man, this block of music I had is uh, too big for uh, the space we got in the first hour here. So, in fact, I've uh, played something that uh, somebody asked me to play that I thought I lost. And it's Bed by Ben uh, Chartres. And then we heard something from Florida. I don't know where Ben's from. But uh, somebody asked me to play it, so I said, sure. And then uh, Grover by Snore. They're from Florida. And then I think a Hollywood band, She Begins to Move by White Coffin. There's stuff that I was going to play in the third hour, but that's where I'll play from the uh, uh, Fratelli. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, because their block is big, and we'll play that in the third hour there. Uh, I was just getting caught up in um, Devin's tale of his music journey. Mm. So your brother, uh, the band Circus, you're playing with, um, uh, and you, uh, you're in with the metal scene. Well, that goes kind of good with that Hollywood song there. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, <laughs> the metal scene in Fort Collins being about, you know, 10 people at the most, you know what I mean, <laughs> at that point in time. And one of them went on to uh, fame as the singer for Yngwie Malmsteen. That was like the big claim to fame for the town. Whoa. It's like this dude, Jeff, he was in town, he'd come over to my house, you know, my, my folks' house, and jam in the basement with my brother and I. We would always screw in the blue light in the jam room, you know, so the blue, so we could get into the vibe. You ever heard the Invade tape of him on the plane? No. Yeah, somebody had a little recorder, <laughs> and so, I think there's some bledge with uh, oh shoot, uh, some lady behind him was uh, hearing him talk kind of. I don't know, weird, she, huh. she thought. So she poured a Coke over in his hair, you know. And he was like, whoa. He couldn't believe it. He's going off, you know, you bitch. You have unleashed the fury, you know. In this <laughs> it's hilarious. You never uh, heard it? Got this I got to find this. Oh, I got to hear it. I think I played it once on the show. but <laughs> It's up there with the Buddy Rich thing, but a different kind of. I could Same see those, kind of vibe, but yeah. for a different reason, coming from a different place. <laughs> yeah, yeah, coming, coming from blow instead of a... <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, the guy I went to see Rush with the first time, uh, he was into that kind of playing. Yeah, the more yeah. notes were the better. The more, Yeah, I just fit them all. So, uh, you didn't go too much further with Circus. No, man, Circus stopped around then, and we... Um, my brother and I kept playing together. In fact, we still, we, we made music together. I was actually talking to Kira about this. It's kind of like her and her brother, where you just keep making tapes oh. over the years, you know. And, yeah, she's done that long. Yeah. So my, my brother and I, we're actually about to do some more stuff, I think. It's been a while for us, but that's the reason I moved to San Francisco originally. Oh, is that where he's living? Fast forwarding years. Well, he, he is there again, um, okay. and he was in New York in between for a while, but he moved out there from, uh, from Colorado. And then I came out like a year or two later because we had had a, our bands had progressed. We had started writing songs. Well, we, what we happened after the, Circus? Well, we got into like the punk scene, you know? Okay. That's what happened. So that band's over. That's that too embarrassing over. to do yeah, gigs that, that, band, that band, we can't do it anymore, <laughs> you know? And, and Jay, our drummer at the time, was not feeling the he other wasn't stuff. Feeling? You know, he wasn't feeling like all the... A those... lot of those dudes, if you know about those older days, 
when punk was way minority. Yeah. A lot of dudes who could play was not into it. They were all not into it, man. It was <laughs> like it was hard for me to find folks people that People don't could realize play how open minded people are now about punk. It's no problem. But in those older days, especially if they kinda knew how to play, then yeah. it was like fuck it. Yeah, he was like, I can play in seven four, I'm not gonna play that <laughs> shit. <laughs> but their whole take on music was kinda like sports. Yeah, absolutely. It's yeah. a different vibe. Yeah. And and punk was so I mean it was a whole thing, you know, it was like non you know, against so much of the jockishness, you know, at least, you know, where I was. And so we had our own little version of a punk scene and uh, some friends booking some shows. And so you guys make another band? We make another band. Uh, I mean, over the years, we had about 40 drummers. My brother writes screenplays. One of his first screenplays he wrote was about all these drummers we had, you know, because it was, it was so comical. This, this endless parade of, of, of trying to of fit drummers. people in, you know, and. Jesus, and but the you never are... want to expand uh, like four piece or five piece. Or... Well, we did a couple times. We had a couple extra guitar players here and there. Oh wow! But, but it would always goes commented. But nobody could stand, you know, because we're brothers. And yeah. So nobody could stand to be in the same room with us <laughs> when we're fighting, you know. Yeah. You meet bumps. <laughs> no, totally. I think it... we're going to continue with this we're, uh, at the end of the first hour. Uh, it's October fourth, two thousand eleven. First hour, Watt Peter show. Hold tight. Uh, to hear more from Brother Devin Hoff and his music journey. <laughs> Hold tight for hour two. Yeah. Really? Well, it's deep stuff for everybody dealing with it. You know? uh, October 4th, 2011, second hour of the Watt from Pedro show.
Francisco Bay. Ocean liner took us too far away. Didn't mean to treat so bad. Just the best girl I ever had. Made me cry and I said goodbye. I gonna sit right down and die. And he ain't gonna nigga. He got a lousy dime.
gentlemen, I'm going to welcome you out to another day at the ballpark. Where we're here to witness a spectacular special, otherwise known as the game of baseball. The players are taking a field and we're set to witness an event which will make it even the oldest men rise in attention. Oh yeah, this one's going to be a banger. First batter steps into the box. Oh, this guy's deadly. All hot dog and no fun. And folks, that guy's got a handful of nuts. to deliver the first ball of the game. Homelooker's marble as he lets it lose.
for Pedro Show, uh, start off the second hour uh, with some bass stuff. Uh, what uh, actually started with uh, Charles Mingus doing Fables of Fabus, and we were just talking before <laughs> Crash made me go into a repeat mode here, so it's going to be a little different spiel, but uh, Mr. Mingus went in, uh, uh, Fabus, uh, Mr. Fabus was last governor, uh, uh, not last governor, but he was the governor during this period in Arkansas when they were trying to uh, end Jim Crow. And, uh, like, it ain't going to happen here. Yeah, it did. Mm-hmm. And Mr. Mingus, uh, in fact, uh, expressed his wishes <laughs> through his music. Mm-hmm. Which you might think uh, jazz being a intellectual in a uh, uh, instrumental music that, well, what's this? This isn't uh, Woody Guthrie. Mm-hmm. But actually, this kind of spirit common to both those composers I yeah think. yeah Mr. yeah Guthrie, mr mingus mm. and then uh we heard uh bertram Tureski, who's a stand-up player that i got to play with a meet once uh he's a like mr mingus stand-up player comrade Devin too stand-up player in fact mr mingus was dead set against electrics i read oh, some really? stuff yeah oh yeah i didn't know that heavy belage yeah uh he said yeah i heard of i guess Nat King Cole had a cat working oh. one of these. Uh-huh. Actually, it was a stand-up going through an amp. Uh-huh. It wasn't a Fender bass. Yeah. Those were total kazoos in his book. Yeah. But the, even the that Even was, going through the amp, yeah, sure. And then the, in this book I was reading, I, I, some A&R man at a label 
uh, set up something for him and a, a fusion player. I'm not going to say his guy's that name, well. but he got belligerent. Yeah. Sh- 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 show him take the A train. Uh-huh. I don't need to know, learn no take the A train and shit oh. like this. And so maybe that's why he was uppity on the yeah. on the electric bass because some of these maybe one been deferring Jamerson or something. <laughs> this cat like yeah yeah exactly it was a bad thing so wow anyway uh Stretsky uh a practitioner of this thing called extended technique which means you go beyond the traditional ways of working uh the stand up which is I guess between the nut and the bridge this guy plays on the other sides plays everywhere on the mm. thing and uh our our common friend Nels Klein is uh Hit me the fact that composers have read, uh, written pieces expressly for, for, for yeah, he's got a whole like yeah because the vocabulary is so different why, yeah yeah and you can work that for that so why not make yeah. a piece around it yeah. and we heard his uh, tribute to uh, Charles Mingus called Mingus and then we heard something uh, this bass player named uh, Colin Hodgkin and him by himself doing some <laughs> kind of a funny title uh, yeah walking my baby down the San Francisco Bay. This cat, man, he can play. And it, he plays with a pick, play a left-hander. Uh, I don't know, do you have a thing with the pick? Coming no, I, I'm, stand-up I'm, school? All f- I'm all for it, you know. Yeah, I'm there's, a, there's a kind works. of jock thing. It's yeah. not as strong anymore, but it used to be. Against the, the pick, days, yeah, sure. Which is ridiculous. Yeah. You know, whatever it takes, man. That's, I mean. Well, when this word you mentioned a little while ago, vocabulary, widen it, man. Yeah. I've seen... Atmos will play a pick mm-hmm. and fingers and, and slapping in the same tune. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. fuck. <laughs> and then we heard the band that Colin that was in dope. in the 70s called uh, Backdoor. And this was a band not a lot of people, like gig goers might have known them, but they were big to musicians. And uh, uh, we were speaking, uh, actually, Devin ain't heard of them, so, uh, but he's going to check them out now. Mm-hmm. And the, the Beastie Boys were big into this band when they were uh, starting to play again, doing "Check Your Head." And uh, incredible band. SST had kind of a same kind of lineup. This band Bazooka, Vince Maroney. Mm-hmm. He was in my pair of pliers as a drummer. Mm. He was actually a sax man with El Grupo Sexo, and they went and put together this trio. And <laughs> there's something about sax, drums, and bass yeah. that's kind of neat, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We were talking about that Emma Goldman bus stop brigade. You want to bring in a drumming and a sax. That's my thought, yeah. And then we can function. Some East gays, right? Maybe so, yeah. I remember the gig we did. Remember the benefit? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, it will. It's the same. uh, Just a matter of time. Because my intent is real strong to do that. But not to jump the gun. Uh, We should get back to... You're making punk bands with your brothers. There's a revolving uh, cast of drummers. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Heavily revolving. We're finally around the time. At the same time, I'm trying to learn how to play jazz. And I'm just kind of so gigging. you got about. a stand-up bass. Yeah, yeah. I, well, How'd that happen? Well, I, I, got a, I had a really cool teacher. This guy would go to like the summer music camp at my high school. And the local high school music teacher was this guy, Steve McNeil, who's a really wonderful human. Oh, so you were playing in the school band? I was playing in the school okay. orchestra. So I was just borrowing the oh, school so the st- bass. Oh, so the st- uh, string bass there. Okay. Yeah, and then... Um, at some point along the way, my dad got me an electric bass, um, and he was working in a music store, so that helped that thing at that point. And then, uh, what was it Fender? Yeah, yeah. Well, my first bass was like a Hondo or something, just to see if it would take. You know what I mean? 
Something I remember Hondos. Yeah, the Hondo Alien didn't have a headstock, you know. Oh, <laughs> Crane had a Hondo. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> Trumpet player. It's like a thing, man. It's and then and then I wound up getting on a Fender on a jazz bass and uh, yeah. and I was borrowing the bass from my school back at the time when you know I was lucky enough to come in when public schools had not just music programs but instruments that they would let the kids hang on to. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I hung on to this bass for six years. Wow. You know, all the way up to, almost to the end of high school. And then I'm getting into this thing where I think I'm, I don't even know if we knew, you know, we thought we were very punk rock and I thought I was, I was a little bit of a whatever. So I, I didn't need, I didn't need school anymore. So I kind of stopped going to school and my grandma had just retired. She uh, did like secretarial work at a construction company and she just retired. And so she basically bribed me. There was a friend of the family who was selling an upright for cheap, which is still the only upright I've ever owned. Because um, he needed some money because his wife was pregnant. And she said, well, if I buy this upright base for you, will you finish high school? Yeah. And so she put down some cash with her retirement money, which was, you know, at the time I was I was young, but I still appreciated it. But as I've grown older, I've appreciated it more and more. You yeah. Know? She really... Uh, she really kept me in it. And what, what was these summer camps? Yeah, yeah, it was like just like summer. Well, you know, because I played in the high school yeah. orchestra and the junior high orchestra, and there would be these like summer programs, so you could keep at it year long. And this uh, this guy Steve McNeil would set up these things. And this is they start showing you jazz stuff. Yeah, it started showing me. It taught me how to read music. Like yeah. when I was too young for it to be a problem, you know, I was just excited. Like here's the note. Well, that's what it looks like on paper. Yeah. So it just came right. at the same time. Um, yeah, he was a super. Another, another, I was I was really lucky, you know. Like I'm in this town, kind of in the middle of nowhere in a lot of ways, and to have a guy like that, there's just a few of those people around that really, you know, they show an interest. And I was lucky enough. Um, I was excited. I didn't have. I don't think I was had any talent at all. I think I just had ambition for it, you know. Yeah. But yeah. not to get anywhere, with it, but just to do it. Yeah, I just love the music. I work this fucking thing. Yeah, I mean that's, that's that's never stopped. That's still just what I wake up every day and think about, you know. And, um, and uh, yeah, you know, so I was really lucky to have somebody like that around, and started through my dad's friends, got a few jazz gigs, and then I'm doing this, you know, and I didn't know what I was doing playing jazz. I didn't come till later, but everybody needed a bass player, just like every rock band needed a bass player. Yeah, so yeah. You show up and you bring one, and you get fifty bucks, you know, or something, you know. So yeah, I was right. like, all right. So I was working by the time I, you know, I was working by the time I was in high school. I was working a lot. You know, just because of, there was demand, you know, and so I was bought my first three hundred dollar car from a friend of the family and drove around. You, I thought it was real cool, you know. How could you get it in there? I put I put the seat down. Okay. Put the passenger seat yeah, down. Yeah. Lay it on the back in like an old Plymouth. Um, and then my brother and I at the same time have punk bands, and I I had a separate punk band with some other friends of mine called the Vermicious Condition. And you're using the Fender in that. Using band. the Fender in that, yeah, and. uh and so then, yeah, so then my brother leaves town, and eventually I think I got to leave town, too. I got to do something, because, you know, I, I felt like there was a need to try to explore some more stuff, because at that point, my town was still small. Yeah. You know, and uh, Bill Stevenson and people like yeah, that weren't there that. yet, you know, so I was like, oh, right. we knew Bill at that point, but uh, he didn't, uh, and he was always, him and Carl, especially Carl Alvarez, the baseball, they were both so, so great to all of us kids, it was, you know, and the... Uh, but anyway, so I said, yeah, I'll go out to San Francisco because a lot of this punk rock that we were listening to was stuff, it was SST stuff, it was the Minutemen, it was, you know, Black Flag, Descendants. 
um, and post them, post SS2 stuff, you know, or stuff that went around it, like fire hose and some, some X, you know, but it was all California stuff. And then at that time, there was all this stuff happening up in the Bay Area. Yeah. That was real cool in like the early 90s. Yeah. It was a great scene up there. So we said, you know, let's go out there and like try to get in that scene. And so that's, that's how I got to California. And we played a bunch, you know, and there's a bunch of great bands that we played with and great folks out there. And eventually it kind of fizzled out because we didn't know exactly what to do. We, we didn't even think of it. They're like, yeah, it'd be great if we could get like on, you know, Lookout or AT or something. We never once dropped a tape off anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? We would just because we were rednecks, you know. We would yeah, like we were out. like we can't. They they wouldn't like us, you know. And we'd meet somebody that was cool, and they'd say, yeah. yeah, you should. Then we we never did it, you know. Wow. We never knew how to do that stuff. It just didn't but, occur to us. We made uh, a million. We're playing demo with tapes. some people. Yeah. You're playing the gigs. We're playing the gigs. We're showing up, and and so we're like, but you know, we just and we made our demo tapes. We just hand them out at the gigs, you know. That was good enough for us. That was exciting. We, you know, back when like the Purple Onion was happening, oh, okay. the Chameleon, and these kinds of places. Yeah, that was a blast, man. That was a great scene. You know, we were happy. Just we had our day gigs and just happy to have a, the gig on the weekend at that point. That's where you meet Scott. Yeah, I met Scott when I was started. Well, after that band fell apart, I started yeah. um, getting into uh, the jazz scene and starting to really try to learn how to play now, and got thrown in the deep water way above my head. And uh, it was great. It was wonderful. There was a, a drummer named Derek Phillips who uh, I'm befriended through another friend, and he just took me under his wing and started taking me around, to th- introducing me to people, and literally taking me to sessions and saying, "Check out this bass player. He's sounding pretty good." And he, he, you know, pretty soon I was making a living doing that because there was that scene was happening, and uh, Derek's playing with. He's played with Charlie Hunter over the years and a yeah. bunch of different people on. He and I were playing with that guy Vijay Iyer for a while, and that's when I got mm-hmm. into that band was through Derek. So he he hooked me up with people, and through that I started meeting all these other cats, and I met Scott, yeah, which is who eventually I met Nels through. Yeah, that's why I brought him up. Yeah. yeah. What would Scott have his own band? Is that what you started playing for? No, I, no. I think um, at that point there was, an, it was another guy's band that we played in the, okay. first, the first time that, you know, I just met him kind of on the rhythm section on a couple of things. Yeah, you know, and that was uh, and that was really cool. And I knew I knew of him. You know, his reputation, of course, already preceded him at that point um, because he had been, you know, plugging away in the barrier for years. Yeah, right. Know? So he had a he had a he had a great reputation there. And I uh, I met him, and we started talking. And I was like coming out of jazz and coming out of punk rock. You yeah. know, trying to get into jazz and coming out of punk rock. And he said, "Well, you should meet this guy Nels Klein." And of course, I said, "You know, my." My eyes lit up and I looked like an anime character all of a sudden, you know. So I'm like, Nels Klein, because I, I discovered Nels is playing through Ballhog and Tugboat through your record. Oh wow! You yeah. know, so I discovered that. He's, I think he's the, he's on the most tunes. It's I think like so. Five tunes on that one. Yeah, and so I was, I was into that record, of course, and I was, you know, well, I was, I missed the Minutemen. I saw, saw, I saw Firehose, you know, a few times when they came through town, but when they came through, you guys came through Colorado, but. Um, Sadly, never got to see the Minutemen, but I was all excited about that, and I was a big fan of what you were doing, and and even of Dose at that point. Um, and uh, and then Ballhog came out, and I discovered Nels, and I was like, now this guy. I read some stuff about him, and I found some interviews, and I I think I heard. He also had his own band, the Trio. Yeah, the Trio. I think I heard yeah. Chester, one of those records, okay, and I was yeah. like, I was like, now that's kind of this thing where it's like, like where process of weeding out came in. Yeah. You know that was huge to me because Black I was flag yeah because I was like thinking about you know 
free jazz and hearing the the punk rock and hearing them kind of put together and it wasn't like like what you were saying it wasn't fusion it was this yeah. other thing it's kind of like what you were saying about these guys nowadays there's I think a lot of young people that come out of a lot of punk rock aesthetic and ideology yeah but that are also into this thing of you can play too and you can create this other energy without being fusion yeah you right. know what I mean and it's like you know kids that came up listening to that stuff came up listening to you guys came up listening to some of Zorn's older stuff Oh yeah, you know what I mean. Came up, yeah, came up, understanding like some of the energy and in, in Mingus's stuff. That's you know, in the Albert Eiler and all that. And uh, it's really exciting. So I was one of those people, you know. I just well, was really Coltrane. Excited. You know, when Raymond played me Coltrane, hmm. I thought he was a punk rocker. Yeah, absolutely. I thought they were older. I didn't know he was dead. I didn't know any because I didn't grow wow. up with any bebop. No, I grew up in Navy housing, so I, I had no idea. Wow. I didn't. I didn't know it was. 10 years he had died 10 years before this is late 70s so Pettibone played and yeah there's this wow. wild music to me I was yeah it was different style a little bit but to me the, that's uh, of course natural because they're different bands yeah but this kind of emotion and uh, trip where what I felt was real close yeah yeah was really close you know maybe uh, you should play for people uh huh yeah yeah Devin brought his uh, bass here. This is the first one with that. That's the first one, man. It's still the only one, man. It's like a. It's a really cool bass. I just I'm so used to it, you know. Thank mm-hmm. you. 
call that? <laughs> I don't know, man. That's entitled? Yeah, I'm just... For the Watt from Pedro show on October 4th, 2011. That was beautiful. Now, people you didn't see, but you could probably hear, there was no fingers. That was called Arco, where they use a bow. Yeah, the whole Which time. is something you can't really do on a bass guitar. I've seen... The Cat and the Creation did it on guitar. Yeah, and then Jimmy Page did it mm -hmm. later. Sometimes if I really work at it and I have a bow around, I can get a few notes out. But there has to be like some overdrive or something on the electric to, <laughs> to bring it out. Yeah. Know? But uh, I've been working on it more on this thing. Cause I... Well, it was built for it. Yeah, well, in a way, exactly, you know, literally it was built for it. Yeah, it's like a giant violin without the chin thing. <laughs> yeah, it totally is. It's like a violin. From... Ah, they just upscaled it. Yeah, which was, uh, I don't think... I don't know much about it, but from what I've read, it's I don't think uh, the best design in the world. You know, it's the idea that like we take the small thing and we'll just make it bigger on Star the same scale. It <laughs> it's not necessarily. Uh, you see, they did that with a lot of things. Yeah. Huh? Mandolins. There was yeah. the whole orchestras a different yeah, size. The bass mandolin. And, and uh, you can see it with the sax. There's a tenor. There's yeah. A, yeah. There's soprano, just, baritone. This whole idea of you come up on it, then just find a bigger, a lower, a higher voice for it. Uh -huh. But kind of notes, physics operate a little different. Exactly, yeah, the physics operate different. And even the sound projection is different. You yeah. know what I mean? So, this guy, they're beautiful. I tried a couple of years. I had this thing called Little Pit where I played. I didn't, I did one recording with this. Oh, yeah? Yeah, with it was bow? for a Who song. Uh, oh, right on. What was it? With two drummers, George Hurley was one of the drummers. I don't know, but oh, and Steve Perkins was the other one. Whoa! It was a cover of uh, "Helpless Dancer," or what Georgie called it, "Toothless Prancer." <laughs> it's off the Quadrophenia. Thing. Uh -huh. Yeah, it was in Long Beach. God, I wonder what happened to that. That would have been wild. It's... So uh, through Scott, you meet Nels. Yeah, through Scott, I meet Nels and, and... the band. Called Nels Klein Singers. Yeah, it comes out of that, which uh, which just happened really quickly. You know, at that same time, I was kind of just starting to really get into uh, delve more into like the avant-garde world of things, especially the current avant-garde world thing at the time. You know, so um, which you would say is separate from jazz. I don't know. I think that. Uh, I don't know. Is there a debate about that? There's a debate about it. There's a debate about it, but I don't know if I want to even if yeah. I even know enough to weigh in on it because to me it's well, kind of all semantics. Yeah. Sure, because yeah. in the big scheme of thing, music is music. Yeah, and like genre is just marketing shit. And when you look at, I think. But you did say I only say that because uh, you said avant garde. Oh here yeah. You've been you taking the do dive in the Fort Collins jazz. Now you San Francisco jazz. Now you say. Yeah. Avant-garde. Well, I think I think at that point I was, you know, people like um, I became really obsessed with this bass player uh, Joelle Leandro, mm. and I I got really super into her stuff, and um, I still am, and uh, yeah, respect. And at, yeah, at that point I was kind of I was every time I I played, you know, I was playing tunes always and only, you know, and like playing jazz tunes and trying to get. Um, Do you have a fake book? Yeah, yeah, you know, and, and trying to learn all the tunes and trying to transcribe the solos and, you know, playing like ding, 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 gigs, you know, like trying to play a good walking line was like all I was caring about. And that was really fun. Yeah. Um, and really worthwhile. 
And then I was at this festival with this guy, Idris Akamore, this sax player from the Bay Area, and, and his band. And uh, I was over in Europe somewhere, and somebody just turned me on to her and said, oh, you should check out this bass player. And it kind of blew my mind. Yeah. And so then it kind of exploded everything, and I started picking up the bow again more ah. and studying all this stuff and thinking more about this kind of stuff and listening to folks coming from like maybe not necessarily a jazz approach to improvising. You know... Light years for me, but the Walker ba- jazz guy for me uh-huh. was Paul Chambers. Oh, that me guy too. Walk a fucking line. Oh, it's the most beautiful thing, you man. Build a, the, you drive a semi truck on those bass lines. Totally, man. Yeah. And throwing ten million changes, and the fucker's gonna have that thing. Yeah. So, man, he was something. He was amazing, man. He train wrote a song for it. Yeah, Mr. PC. PC. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, man. I I, I really he uh, could walk and swing it. Man, mm-hmm. see something. He's he's a uh, He's probably my, I mean, I don't know if you get into like favorites and stuff, but I think he's probably the top guy for me for a jazz guy. I just, I love, I love. He's incredible. Yeah. And all fucked up like that. I know, it's so crazy. <laughs> How? I know. I love his feel, man. His feel is so like, yeah. has so much energy and, and buoyancy. And it's crazy to think that if he's on smack when that's happening. That's amazing to even contemplate. I know, I know, I know. But man, <laughs> when I think of, for some reason, my mind always goes because I hear him on those songs. I know he, he's on some train, of course, and he loved him, but he ended up with Jimmy. He's a much different yeah. player. I love Jimmy, too, a lot, I have to There's say. a book. I got train. Look, I got the reference about myself. Oh, you got everything right there. <laughs> I got a whole bunch of others here, but I got the reference, all the oh, gigs. Oh, man. All yeah. the gigs. About, that was a present to myself. But I got a book here on, on his interviews. Uh-huh. Train on Train. Nice. Right here. And he's talking about bass, he's the tonality. Oh. And that's what he dug about Jimmy. About Harrison. Jimmy, yeah. It's the tonality. Yeah. Yeah, isn't that trippy? It's, it's a trip. I mean, and, it, and, you know, there's because a, a lot of people, the bass don't have a tone, right? It's just yeah. a feel. It's just yeah. a, a pushing. Yeah, but for him, it's like where that... Well, going. there's this interview I got with him speaking mm. where he they asked him about what but he's listening to when he's solo, and he said the bass. Really? So I think he was really conscious conscious of him bass players but yeah. in a trippy way not in such a uh, connect the dots way right you know well, that's a heavy th- a I, I'm gonna have to think on that for a while so uh, you hear her <laughs> yeah in this this notion of avant-garde that you can take the bass out mm-hmm. you're playing with Nels though at the time yeah yeah well that's right when I started playing yeah. playing with Nels and so on and there's other there's a lot of other things I, I was hearing but I like, mean you know he told me about I remember when First started playing, he says, "Yeah, I found a guy, man. He was really into your playing." Oh, that's nice, man. No, I'm I, I love him and his playing and everything. It was a it was a really how many a, years? Six? Ten? Ten? Yeah, it was a really great nod of him to me too. It really like helped. Ten years. Wow. Yeah, it, you know nobody knew me from Adam as far as the scenes that Nels was involved in, you know. And here I was like, I'd been playing like. You know, jazz gigs in the Bay Area is like all that really had a resume for besides some like, you know, playing a punk gig at the Purple Onion or something. You know yeah, what I mean? Right. That's about it. So uh, uh, so it was really, you know, he was really like uh, taking a chance and I, I think maybe, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, it was wonderful for me. You know what I mean? It was, it was so... Was it scary so at first? A, no? You know, it wasn't too scary. The first rehearsal, I was like, what's this going to be like? And then once, 
He the, leaves you a lot of room. He leaves you a lot of room. Yeah, yeah. Just charts out some figures. Once, once he talked about everything, he said that his music was going to operate between fascism and anarchism. There's going to be times when it's anarchy, when it's anarchy, and everybody's there for themselves to do with us they choose. And there's times when it's fascism, and he's laying down the parts for everyone. Yeah. And he said that, and I thought, okay, I can understand that. And he was so clear about where things would be going. And that whole punk, jazz, and not just those words, but just those kinds of feelings, yeah. more than the sounds even, yeah. you know, or the sounds associated with feelings, if that makes any sense, was so much where my head was at, and where my head is still at in a lot of ways, that, that I was just so excited to jump on board. I was just more excited than anything. You know what I mean? I was, whereas like when I had been playing with that guy Vijay Iyer, yeah really previously to that that gig scared the hell out of me because everything was odd times and really complex harmony and I was definitely like the that was the knuckle dragger of the group you know what I mean I was like holding everybody back slow learner yeah slow (laughs) learner and just you know just I was like wait guys what's going on you know that that music was so hard and it was so beautiful that I wanted to play it well you know so sure, I think sure. that wore me out from being worried about a gig because the nights before Vijay's gigs, I could never sleep a wink. I'd just be laying awake Pan thinking shooters. about Yeah. Like the big yardsticks were going to be brought out. Totally, that's exactly <laughs> what I was worried about, you know? You know, we played like, with Vijay's band, one of like the big, bigger gigs. I didn't do it that band for too long because they all moved to New York and I couldn't go at the time. But um, <laughs> one of the first gigs we did was like at this jazz festival and Dave Holland plays solo. And that's a bass man. Yeah, and he plays solo for an hour before us. It was a double bill. And I'm just like, no, man. What are you talking about? I'm supposed to play after that? And then the first tune we do, Vijay looks at me and he says, all right, you got it. Like the first solo on the first tune was going to be me. And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> I can't. Yeah. And Vijay did that. He did that to break my jitters. He could tell I had some jitters. He wanted yeah, me just yeah, to like yeah. play some and let it out of my system, you know? But uh, but yeah, so 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 Nels' stuff, I was just excited about, and I was I was just so happy to to be there and be doing it. And uh, you told me the recordings though were trippy with Nels' band. Yeah, yeah, they could be. Yeah, it was a band that that live made was was really really easy. We would we, the recordings we would do okay because we would always finish ahead of schedule. Yeah, yeah, you know, for the days that we had and stuff. But um, but I'd always be like in an ISO booth. With headphones on, so you could record the upright without just cymbals and guitar sure, being sure. in there. And that, for music that's so improvised, that feels weird because it's like, it's gonna attach. Yeah, it's gonna kind of break the vibe. Yeah. Yeah, you call it. I remember you telling me once, man, I wish I could go back. Yeah. Oh man, that's the truth. There's a tune of Nels's that. Uh, well, a lot of times, a couple of times, we had really toured on the stuff, you know, and knew it. Yeah. You know, and of the records we did, we did, I think. Four or five as the singers and a couple others with, as different, you know, under with the new monastery band. They did the Andrew Hill thing with Bobby sure. Bradford and Andrea um, and Ben, and uh, and then the, and then the Ed Ruscha record thing too, you know, which was a different thing. But other than that, those singers records, Dirt. yeah, Dirty, Dirty Baby, Dirty yeah. Babe. But those singers records, a couple of the times, like about half of the tunes, we would know, and there'd always be stuff that we didn't know yet, and so we're learning it kind of in the studio right before. There's some. There's a tune on a, either the second or third record called "Bright Moon" that I'll never forget. I was, it's a long bass solo on it over all these harmony, you know, that Nels wrote and all these chord changes, and they're all like Nels stuff, where his fingers are doing all these crazy things <laughs> and the tonality's going two different places at once. And these beautiful chord changes, 
And so we're playing it, and we're like, I'm like, cool, we're gonna get this, you know, this will sound pretty good. Then we're rehearsing it, you know, and that I'm so I just practicing over the chord changes, you know, just playing like straight to boo 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 boo, just playing arpeggios, or just trying to figure out some way on the bass to get through these chord changes because yeah. I was stumped by them, frankly, you know. I didn't know what to do, and I was nervous to record it. Guys named Flanagan over giant steps. Yeah, Tommy Flanagan. Yeah, that's, that's the story. And, that's, and then, and then right, was, they, he didn't even practice, right? Yeah, and he's, he's just like Coltrane says, "Here's some chords." Yeah, and he's just like, "Okay." <laughs> that poor. That's a, that's a terrible thing, man. Because he's such I a wonderful he kept musician. Doing recordings of it over just and over. Just to be like, I got it now, man. <laughs> I got it. <laughs> you show somebody. Yeah, it was kind of like that. It was not nearly that as extreme of a situation. But on this case, we finished the, this rehearsal take. And it was like, cool, I think that's the take, that's it. And I was like, you mean we were tracking? You know, and he's like, yeah. And I was like, well, let's do another one. He goes, no, that was good. <laughs> it's done. I was like, man, I was practicing. <laughs> so every time I hear that solo, I just laugh because it doesn't sound that bad in <laughs> retrospect, but at the time it felt like it was just, I mean, you'll hear it if you listen to it. It's just a string of eighth notes. You know, right there's note. no space at all. <laughs> it's just the bass player trying to figure out the changes. <laughs> <laughs> Pay no attention to that man behind the curtain. <laughs> yeah, well, Tommy Flanagan, though, man, but that well, that guy could sure play, though. He's <laughs> I know, I know. God, it's so but sad. That was some chords to lay out. That's some hearts, and that's that's the first time that people had done those kinds of changes. <laughs> and now people use it to cut each other. Yeah, which is so lame because Train's heart was so big, he would never use music to cut someone. Yeah, man, that's a really good point. Isn't that weird? I, you know, I uh, humans do this to everything nice. Yeah, they make everything totally. They make punk Foul. rock into car commercials, and they make Coltrane's music into cutting sessions. Yeah, cutting to make you somebody feel little and lame. Yeah, man. Yeah, and everything you hear. I last year when I was in Chicago, or two years ago, I think it was last year at the jazz festival, the Umbrella Festival there, which is an amazing jazz festival. Some friends of mine put on. Um, it's really beautiful, and uh, that I think it's called Trio Three. It's Oliver Lake. And uh, Reggie Workman and Andrew Surreal, and it's just a beautiful, beautiful band. And I saw them play this gig. Reggie's no, it's Chambers on the, but he's on that album. He's on some of that stuff, yeah. He's not, and he's on, yeah, and he's on some of those records right around then. I think he was. Oh yeah, I think he's on Giant Steps too, but not that song. Okay, yeah, yeah, it might be. Um, he was there in the. This is when Trains was doing his first band. Yeah, exactly. You know, side man, ten years. Yeah. And so, you know, Reggie's still playing. It still sounds great. Yeah. Those guys, they played this beautiful, amazing set. And my friend said, you got to go upstairs and meet them. And I said, oh, okay. I was shy too, but I had to say, I had to pay my respects. Yeah. You know, when I had the invitation to. And uh, anyway, it was so, such a trip because all these men start talking about Coltrane. You know, and they all knew him and hung with him back in the day. And they're talking with him with such reverence, talking about him with such reverence and such love. Wow. You know, it's such a beautiful thing because it didn't come out scripted by anybody. They start telling stories. You know, just backstage after their gig, you know. Wow. Yeah, it was pretty amazing to be near. That would have been neat. Uh, we're up to the end of the second hour. Hmm. October 4th, 2011, Watch Peter Show. One from Devin Hoff. Hold tight for hour three. October 4th, 2011, it's a Watch from Pedro Show. Here's that Italian uh, jazz course stuff I was telling you about. Thank you. 
Pedro show started out the third hour with uh, music from uh, 
this scene in Italy called Jazz Corps uh, started with uh, Neo doing uh, Invenzione Una. Then uh, Sigari. That's actually got a U.S. guy on piano, but uh, Italiano's on the other stuff. Uh, Thousands More Locked Up Today, Master. That's her new album. And then we heard T-Rex by Two Backs. T-Rex. Nice. Right. First gig I went to. Doesn't sound too much like Mark Bowen. I said that this was jazz chord. Actually, this next band's from uh, Ireland. Uh, oh. They're called uh, the Redneck Manifesto and uh, a tune called Black Apple. Nice. And uh, the, there's some of this kind of music happening in Tokyo, too. My buddies in light uh-huh. do this kind of stuff. Yeah. So to say it's all coming out of Italy would be crazy. I think people want to make things simple. Uh-huh. So they, they want generalizations, and it's not fair to human beings. Yeah, man, I totally... You, know, you, yeah, you got to yeah. be sensitive to nuance and all this stuff. And I guess it would happen with artists with... Uh, I think there's somebody like Marcel Duchamp and how he had to... First there was... Uh, Postmodern, and then there was uh, uh, da, uh, Futurist, and uh-huh. then Dada, and mm-hmm. I guess Modern first, not Postmodern. Modern, and then Futurist, and Dada, and Surrealism, and then uh, Postmodern, and he, he navigated all this, right? Probably because he had to, otherwise you would sync with the scene, right? 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 Totally, and then and then you're yeah. Crazy. Oh, and then finally, we heard something from Serbia. Yeah. Mm-hmm. By uh, Disciplina Kitschman. And this bass man, Disciplina Kitschman, he's been, his name's Koya, and he's uh-huh. been around for years out of there. He went to England for a little while, but mainly he's been out of Belgrade. Uh-huh. This guy, you got to see him. He plays electric awesome. bass, but uh-huh. sometimes wow wow and stuff. And Whoa. He's, yeah, he's a monster. Oh, awesome. A beautiful man. cat, and his bands are, this is the different versions. Of, for a while, he had like two trumpets, bass, and drums. Whoa. Or, uh, yeah, and a singer. That's something. real cool. He with sings a, too. And with electric bass. Yeah. So the bass takes up all this other room. Well, it's, well, it's, yeah, it's nice. being left, left yeah, to Yeah, exactly. And he can use distortion, and he does chords. And well, it's like, yeah. He does all kinds of stuff. He's he's great, great ba- bass man. It's like with Dose, though. You, you take some of the other stuff away, and then you can say, oh, that's yeah. what's happening, you know? Ten years. What, six, seven good. albums? Yeah, I think so. I think... Yeah, I think I'll told about that. A couple of them are double records, though. So, That's right. So do you count those? I kind of—I never know if I can count those as two and then, or one. Uh, how, and many tours, I know, U.S. and overseas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And uh, then... Uh, this was all you were doing musically. No, the singers? Yeah. No, I was doing other stuff at the time, too. Okay. Um I had that band Good for Cows. That's right, with, of course. With Chess Smith, and that, that band, that band still functions when it it's like. When did that come around? Is uh, that in the middle of the singers? It was right before the singers, actually. Before the singers, yeah, because he was living in the Bay Area mm-hmm. at the time. Yeah, before he moved to New York. That's, I've played much uh, Good for Cows on the show here. Yes. Yeah, uh, of course. I, I, I didn't work it in the timeline where it was happening. Yeah, yeah, totally. But okay, so it's right before the singers. So you were doing that concurrently. Yeah. And then there were some uh, other things, too. What the Jushu? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We, and I, which, you know, which I've worked uh, on and off over the years with that band. You know, Jamie, who's the main 
songwriter in that band and just did a bass part by mail for their last record you know and um he likes to take different directions and stuff right mm-hmm. yeah yeah totally very but you toured with them too right uh-huh yeah good for cows tour um mm-hmm. good for cows toured some but uh not not enough ever you know what i mean it's always hard to find because he had a lot of things going too. Yeah, he's an incredible drummer. He's an incredible drummer, and we, we it, it was sometimes uh, the kind of band that with like an opening tour would work better, but with us, we just never would have enough of a draw to do a long tour, you know, by ourselves. We just yeah. would. Uh, it's it, it was hard to, uh, it was hard to get the ball rolling for some reason on that. In Europe, we did, we've done a couple, and we'll probably do some more hopefully. So, for some reason, yeah, a little bit easier what, without music year? over there. Did you have an album last year? Yeah, right? we did. Yeah. Yeah, on the Web of Mimicry label. Fuck. And that was I the... played some. I played some. Is, uh, is that the all black one? Yeah, that's the all yeah, black one. Okay. Where I play, where I, I play electric bass on that record. Cause that's right. That's it was right. Yeah, we we had pushed this other idea obsessively so far mm-hmm. that it was just time to uh, to try something else. So we did a a louder record. You know, and I played electric bass and Chess did some. But there was changes with the with the. The singer, yeah. Who's Trevor Dunn? Trevor Dunn, yeah. He's pretty incredible. Yeah, he's a great bass player and a good friend. Yeah, he's from uh, Bungle. Uh huh. Right. Patton. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, I. Yeah, really good musician. I kind of I, I I ended up bowing out of the singers as graceful as I could when I was in Chicago, just because. A variety of things going on. Oh yeah, yeah. That that things. happened in the meantime too. You left Bay Area and you went to Chicago. I went to Chicago and hung out there, and so I ended up. So, uh, yeah, because I remember Nels telling me he was very sad. Oh, that's yeah. It was it was a hard it was a hard thing. It seemed like uh, creatively because I just didn't feel like it. I wasn't hearing it. You know what I mean? This I was, was just, the double album. Yeah, the most recent one. Yeah. I just the, uh, the studio. Well, there side were some of that. trippy things. Yeah, you tried on that one, right? That yeah. were way different. Yeah, it was way different. I really and I really you know, I, I enjoyed doing it and making the record, but I just felt like, like I think that that maybe there's a. I, th- I think I was more comfortable in the like, punk jazz, you know, phase of things. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> and that's just and that's kind of and and uh, and I just felt like like there was some things that he was wanting to do with that band and and not like we even had a big never an argument or anything but I just said you know I think that you want to do some things that I'm not I don't really have a connection to personally and you know yeah, yeah. like you know he's he, he has a lot of roots in um like 70s like fusion yeah like you know weather report and stuff like this and music Who's that, that he was a Czech man right uh Zawinul? no well, he was the boss. Oh yeah, he was like Austrian. Man, they had a oh um oh uh, Miroslav. Miroslav. Yeah, and I just have no connection at all to that music. Yeah, yeah. I hear it and I don't even. Well, under- there were some Jocko. Yeah, years too. <laughs> some Jocko years. I just don't understand it. And not like and not to badmouth that or no, or, of course not. Or Nelson's appreciation. I want of you it. to uh, let's play another one on the, the yeah bass. yeah yeah yeah. There's. I know people would want me to ask you about why is it yeah. Devin and singers anymore, and so that's why I had to ask. That. Yeah, sure, it's all good. What should I play? Um, should I play it? Yeah, you're totally right.
Got a name? No. That's called yeah. improvising, people. Yeah, something. Uh, <laughs> we're gonna play something from the goat. Yeah. Goatet. Austin, Nels, and Alex, man. Right, the twins. Joel.
Watch for Pedro show. Uh, first, we heard uh, 40 Lashes with Mascara from uh, uh, Jeff Gaudier Gotet. And he's a violin man. Mm-hmm. It's pretty incredible. And uh, yeah, that's Alex Klein on the drums and Nels uh, the guitar. And Joel Hamilton. Not the uh, Studio G one, but... <laughs> the, the, the bass playing. Yeah, the other one. Here, let's put the mic on. Oh, right on. Here. <laughs> yeah, and Jeff had that uh, cryptogramophone as his record, That's his record right, label, label, which did a great service in getting all this music out of different folks that, in, in a time when it was unclear who, sure. if anybody, would release some, a, right. a bunch of that, you know? And uh, then we heard uh, something you might know called Slipped Away. Huh. <laughs> do you remember that's, that? Yeah, I do. That's the last that song on the singers. on the first record. That's one of my favorite songs of of that band. I love that song. Yeah, yeah, beautiful, beautiful. Nell's on the baritone on that one, I think. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you asked me about the Black Gang. Uh, I made a Black Gang album that hasn't been mixed yet, and you know, people say that first take feel. Well, you can do that with Nell's. Yeah, I wrote all these true. songs. I brought them into the studio, and just. Played for Bob Lee was shit in a pea catalog, you know. Just well, I never practiced any. I said, "Don't worry, man." <laughs> It'll be this fine. guy, yeah, he brought he used thirty six pedals. He used a, then he went back and overdubbed electric sitar and electric twelve string. Mm-hmm. I, I asked him. I said, "Nels, will you try to play your most psychedelic?" Well, oh, I bet he, so but he loved hearing my that. songs and stuff. It's actually a Nels Klein tour de force. Yeah. This, this album. So, so, so it was contemplating the engine room in a lot of ways. That's yeah, it was too. one of my favorite and it was Nels done Klein the same records. way. Uh huh. Never heard any of the tunes. Oh, really? Uh, I had an easel there. I explained the whole story. You know, I put yeah. the whole life of the Minutemen in one day. Wow, that the, that's, that's the first new... opera. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's, so yeah, I, yeah. I used my pop's life in the Navy as a metaphor for the band for the band right sure and then I use the Joyce idea of like one day yeah so it seems like that's the basic de- demarcation line you know the sun rises the sun sets yeah, yeah weeks yeah. are kind of arbitrary you know months I guess go by the moon and the year goes by the sun mm-hmm. for sure the week's arbitrary <laughs> <laughs> so, so I put it all in a, in a day but but it got weird because uh-huh. if you think about it like lover boy everybody's working for the weekend <laughs> Suddenly became very, uh-huh. uh, a very concrete format. Oh. Even though it has no attachment to nature. Right, right, right. All of a sudden, people five days, absolutely, two days, five yeah, pe- days, people, two days. People start feeling it, and it's just based on like the you know, call Wednesday the hump day, and yeah. you know, all this thing, all this this other cycle. Yeah, it really doesn't have much to do with nature. But good, anyway, the, yeah. the, the, I had the Comes soul, the... and I gave like Joyce did each part of the day a color, and uh-huh. it was a part of the story, and. And I explain these things, not so much music words, just the story words. Because I was leaving it up to him yeah. to realize it on the guitar. And Steve Hodges was on the drums. Mm. Same thing. Nice. And then using this metaphor, like the van is a boat, you know. Uh-huh. My mm. pop, when I was sending him the postcards from tour, he's like, wow, you're like a sailor. And so it made me think yeah. about it. Yeah, oh, that's so nice. That's the whole idea of that, of that piece. So when it came to do this one, this wasn't such an opera. It was just concept. I wanted it to be about autumn mm-hmm. like you know uh, yeah. I'm definitely not spring but hopefully not winter yeah <laughs> man my life so I was thinking about this and I wrote these <laughs> yeah, tunes autumn. to it and I just laid mm-hmm. the bass lines on them you know 
and the parts, and he just reacted to it in real time and recorded it. Now, can I ask you a question? Yeah. Like, when you write like that, how, many, how much of the other parts are you writing? Like, like guitar parts and drum parts. I know that you have a lot of strong ideas about that. Uh, are you laying like, those on? Like that one? Yeah. No. With Nels, no. I just... Oh, yeah. Well, I, I have them, thematic ideas. Uh-huh. Now, something like the third opera, The Hyphenated Man, uh-huh. I wrote it all on D. Boone's guitar, so that was weird. But uh. I, Yeah, I don't do that much. But I wanted the bass come second, just to do it. I was using little song wow. formats, uh-huh. so it was kind of going back to my Minuteman days. Yeah. So it was scary. Yeah. You know, you don't want to get the happy days nostalgic. So I wanted to write about now, oh, being 53-year-old punk rocker. Yeah. But... I wanted to use that old format because I thought it was it's so interesting where you don't have any filler. You just have these little things. Yeah, man. So I was kind of looking for him for courage. Maybe if I use his guitar, I won't be so afraid. Oh, that's nice. But usually when I'm on the bass, I want them to realize it with their instruments. Right. Because I ain't a drummer either. I have to work it out with them as they're doing it. Mm-hmm. And tell them what feels right when yeah, they do something. Yeah, I can't play them. I'm not like Dave Grohl where out here. Here's a drum part because I can fucking play it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And here's a guitar part too. Yeah, that. and here's this and yeah. that. And, Fuck, I'll make the whole record myself if I have to. And he did it. You know, yep. like Prince or Stevie Wonder or something. But I'm not like that. I'm a bass man. But I think, in fact, the uh, interesting question. The, 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 the bass player magazine asked me about the future of bass. Where is it going? Huh. Oh, it's more strings, of course. Uh-huh. No, no. I think the future of bass playing actually is more about composition because hmm. our uh, physics are so narrow hmm. that we leave a lot of room for the other cats. Yeah. So it's actually like when I think when I'm composing a piece and ask cats to come on. Because sometimes bass, I'm thinking, well, I'm, I'm like you when you were first doing it. Uh, they need it. Yeah. You know, and so we're like glue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what are, what are we with nothing to stick to, just a puddle? But on the other way, as I've gone on <laughs> and started writing on this thing. Yeah. Uh, well, maybe it can be like springboard. And you can help launch people. Right, right. Launch people. So... You know, because most composing is done on a piano or a guitar and a lot of melodic, a lot of harmonic content and mm-hmm. kind of squares it away for people. Yeah. The bass kind of mysterious. Even though you're laying That's out rhythms point. for them and just starts and stops, you're leaving a lot of room for them. Some people, it's too much. They want more direction. Yeah, but it, but it's, it's a good point because it leaves enough room people can actually put themselves into, into so, the spaces. Yeah, so when you're thinking, yeah. uh, when you're asking me about what am I thinking of, I'm actually thinking blank slate right you know I'm the frame around the blackboard I'm, I'm framing it up for them uh-huh. but more more like the grout oh, that's I'm awesome. not telling them what to put in the tiles so much yeah thematically maybe I'm trying to get overall idea I'll bring in some like food words uh-huh. movie words or something <laughs> uh-huh. but the music words I want that them on their machine and their yeah. personal connection with it to somehow come out that makes us from being uh, generic and just parts and cogs and so in the bass, uh, we're, we're wow. kind of nebulous enough uh-huh. where we give it that structure. We're kind of drummy. We're kind of a guitar We're this weird hybrid. Yeah. We're, I th- actually, I think we're still finding out what we are. It's this mysterious instrument. It's true. And it was always something to be put on after yeah. to fill things up. Uh-huh. And R&B kind of changed that. They started bringing it up more. Yeah, even the left hand on the piano, the, where the rock and roll comes from, the boogie-woogie, we were coming up right. with a persona a little bit. But yeah. uh, in... <laughs> this not yeah, knowing man, is kind of interesting too setting people mm-hmm. up in a kind of murky situation so they can become themselves somehow 
But we're, we're, we're kind of directing the show. We are the composers. Yeah. But it's a different kind of composing. It's like that, that Coltrane thing you're saying, you know, to play in a minor key, but without the third. No, but never, it's, it's a third. It's kind of like that, because with the bass part, people hear it, and they're like, it's kind of unclear exactly what what right. rhythm or what or what right. harmony or melody to go on top of that. So I and, think for the other instruments, or next the guitar to it, and, yeah. and uh, drums in particular, uh, you can set them up. And yeah. that's what I'm thinking of when I'm uh, uh, writing. Wow. I'm not really looking for the bass to be a fake drum or a fake guitar. Right. It's still trying to be bass. But Whatever that is. But it's trying to be a, a, kind of a bit of a rudder man, a little bit, uh-huh. in, a, in a trippy way. Or a point guard on the basketball court, you know, who's going to get the ball and that kind of stuff. A little bit, a little bit. Mm-hmm. But once you give them the ball, you want them to shoot their way, make yeah. their shots. Uh, and not and not just finish the play you set up, but yeah, do what they right. have to do yeah, with it. Yeah. Actually, a lot of the times when, when I'm writing it, I don't have an end picture. Mm. Wow. I have a kind of feeling I'm trying to get through, but I'm counting on those cats to bring out their music. Right. Like that. And, uh, to me, that's what makes it interesting about that. Yeah. And why... Yeah, I read something about Frank Zappa said, nobody's good enough to play my compositions. See, I'm all, all the way on the other side. <laughs> what will my compositions... It's like, okay, these are my babies. Right. Now, uh, uh, these are the households they're going to grow up in. How will they become? Uh-huh. You know what I mean? Yeah. I have to let them go once they're born. Yeah. And even in, as I'm doing it with the cats in the studio, what will become... And, and, a, and a man like Nels Klein is like this... Uh, for me, uh, where I can, uh, uh-huh. you know, let that fucking freak flag fly. Yeah, yeah, it's beautiful, man. That's such a great aesthetic. You got advice because we're getting at the end of the show, and, and uh... man, there's a lot of music I was going to play, but I ran out of time. But I'll get to it next week. You're just such an incredible uh, musician. What would you tell somebody getting into music? Man, I would just say do it for the love of it and and keep doing it as much as you can no matter what, you know. And and if you're stopped prevented from doing it at some point and you love it enough, you can find your way back into it, you know. If uh you know, all the fates and the gods are 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 willing. Don't quit. That's your advice. Yeah, just don't quit cuz you don't know where it's going. You can't know. Right. You know. And the I music itself is is such beautiful stuff, you know, the the thing I, the Braxton thing about being all these different, following all these different spiritual and whatever paths of your life, and then, and then realizing at one point that you're a musician and that actually is your path. Whoa, uh, it's been October 11th, oh no, October 4th, 2011 edition of Watt Pedro Show. Special guest Devin Hoff. Thanks so much for uh, coming aboard and uh, making it righteous for me. Thank you. It was an honor, man. Really, seriously. Thank you. Okay, everybody, keep your powder dry.